Spinning Around is broadcasting on the land of its traditional custodians, the Wurundjeri people. We respect their past, present, and ongoing relationship with the land for the many, many, many generations to come. Please consider making a donation to pay the rent or the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and help the wonderful folks that provide the much-needed resources for the mob today. If you'd like some music in return for your donation, check out the Spinning Around Bandcamp and grab the 2021 Alumni VA compilation for $10 as all proceeds will be going to both charities monthly. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy the show. It's Spinning Around. You're listening to Spinning Around with Haile Minogue on Area 3000. Hello, lovely, beautiful, fantastic, wonderful people. It's Spinning Around on Area 3000 and this is the final episode of the summer season before I go on break for the month of April. This also officially marks the first 12 months that I've been doing the show and by golly, I have I had a blast. It's been amazing meeting so many talented individuals throughout Spinning Around and it's heartwarming to know that I've even made some friends along the way, previous guests and also today's guests too. I hope that you feel I've given you the space to be yourself and to speak on whatever it is that's on your mind. All of you have sensational stuff inside your noggins and in my eyes, it's confirmed that this Australian scene has the brightest of futures ahead. Thank you all for doing what you do. Believe in yourselves, please, and believe in others too. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Give everyone the chance that you hope to have for your own mistakes too. Be kind, but strong. Be wise, but have fun. I love you all. Especially you two, Paul and Lelusa Mosa. Thank you for supporting the show via Patreon. Kisses and hugs in abundance, now and forever. My first guest is a Melbourne-based DJ, designer, event runner royalty, and soon-to-be producer that's a respected veteran hero in the local scene. From her beginnings in Sister City, Sydney, she started pioneering feminist club night Honey, championing female DJ talent and playing music exclusively from female-identifying artists. She's played at some of the underground's best-known parties, including The Late Show, Heaps Gay, Halfway Crooks, Sidechains, and Reup, and has played for and alongside domestic and international legends, including ASAP Ferg, Gold, LSDXOXO, whoo, Cosmos Midnight, Basenji, Ayabatonyi, Flex... Mummy and more. She's played festivals, including Listen Out, Next Wave, and Red Bull Music Festival, and has had her mixes procured by the likes of Triple J Mixup, Purple Sneakers, FBR Radio, and more. With a UK heavy style and a rap sheet that's this clean and pristine, I couldn't be happier to be having a chat to her tonight. My guest is none other than D, aka Mutka. Hey D, welcome to the show. How are you going? Hi. Wow, you did your research. You found my bio or something. <laughs> I did. I found I found all of the bios that are on your social media and on Google as much as I could. But uh, so little uh, funny and and uh, embarrassing moments from your past um, on the internet. You've done well to hide your tracks. Um. Yeah, I think it's because there's a there's a game in India that's like it had some kind of gambling I don't exactly know what it is but it's also called matka uh-huh. and so I think the majority of <laughs> search results are dominated by that I get a lot of follows to do with that too which is funny you, you didn't name um, yourself after this Indian gambling game did you no I don't know what it is I named myself after a place in Macedonia where my family's from ah, um, I see or it's like near where it's like a this insane canyon um near where my dad's from so have you gone there before yeah yeah it's beautiful but i actually found out that um because i used to get a lot of polish people coming up to me and asking if i was polish because it means mother in polish and i was like no and then it occurred to me that i had never 
seen if there was a literal translation because you know how in like most other languages there'll be a proper noun for something but then it'll also be uh, a noun or like a verb or whatever yeah yeah um so i translated it and it actually means womb oh i guess because the yeah it's cool i guess because the canyon has kind of a cradle of life vibe about it wow um that's so cool. Yeah, it felt kind of like, it felt kind of cool. I was like, all right, DJ Uterus, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> DJ Uterus on the decks tonight, making sure to give birth and do whatever else it is that uteruses do. I don't know. I'm a man. I, I've never spawning, studied any of this. Spawning beats. <laughs> spawning beats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've clearly thought this through. Um, let's talk about honey, because this, um, from what I understand, was actually kind of like a pioneering um feminist club night that you started back in sydney yeah uh, what spurred you on to uh, get this going like uh did you have a lot of experience with uh, the club scene before that as a dj or as a uh you know helper on events yeah i was playing i'm trying to think of what year that was i was playing for like a year or two at different um events and then it was kind of just hard to get booked a lot mm-hmm. and there were a lot of um sort of women or female identifying people who were in a similar kind of boat. Like everything felt a bit like a boys club in a way that it doesn't anymore, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and we just thought it would be fun to kind of make not only the lineup be not men, but make the music that you're hearing, make all of that made by women, especially if you're going to do like a club set and just do you know, doing a, a mix even of all, um, you know, non-male producers mm. uh, is really fun because you have to, I don't know, you love a brief, right? So, you're like, <laughs> just being challenged to have to stick to that and then also make it cohesive and good um, is a lot of fun. But I don't know. It was just, it was kind of just a fun party at the same time. Like, it wasn't super serious or anything. I just wanted to book my friends um, and have them get to experience like i don't know if everyone was playing drake everywhere at the time it was just kind drake of obnoxious like yeah. i just wanted to yeah i just i was like let's just do a hard pass on that and we'll just do <laughs> something else um so who did you yeah. who did you start this with i mean well rather who were you booking at the start you were saying that you were um you know starting this whole thing with your friends who were they it was a friend who was um working in she'd been working in events for like years so she's not a performer Mm-hmm. And then um, another DJ who's one of my best friends, Grace, who went by GQ, but she doesn't really DJ anymore. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, just, just three friends. That's um, very and, cool. and we were booking like, I remember getting Ariane, who's a Sydney DJ that I love still to play. And I was really excited about that because she was one of my kind of idols at the time. She worked at Oyster Magazine, was like really cool, you know. Like, oh, cool. Um, you had a stint at Oyster as well, didn't you? Yeah, I was an intern there when I uh, before I ended up working in publishing for a while. You really nice. do your research. Hundred percent. I, I know as much <laughs> as the internet tells me about you. <laughs> Dang. Um, no secrets. Um, no secrets at all. I got a question though. Um, yeah. For you know, only playing music that's exclusively made by uh, female identifying producers. Um, did you find that there was uh, more of a lean towards any particular sound in terms of like genres at all, or did you find that it was relatively the same as what men were making as well? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, no, it, it was just as diverse as what what men make, so you could kind of 
make the set anything that you wanted, but definitely more, um, definitely easier to do like club or pop music that is vocal heavy, mm. um, I guess, because you don't, especially in dance music, you don't get a lot of male vocals. Or yeah, not really. Hey. I think maybe back in the nineties, like um, I'm thinking like Underworld, uh, Faithless, like those those sorts of a prodigy. I guess those sorts of people were really male heavy in terms of vocals for electronic music. Mm. But these days, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Like it's more female led. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I haven't listened to a lot of stuff these days. I, I'm not gonna lie. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, be- since I've gone deeper into the show, I found that I'm listening to less and less music or electronic music at the very least um, for pleasure nowadays. It's become more like, it's become more work. And I don't know if I like that. You know what I mean? It's hard. Yeah. It's especially after lockdown because during lockdown, I was trying to just kind of, you're trying to get by, right? And then you don't have gigs to play or anything. That's not really motivation. I did like one mix, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then I had to force myself to listen to electronic music. But then the rest of the time I was listening to like snail mail and like Phoebe Bridges <laughs> mm-hmm. and just podcasts or audiobooks or whatever. Cause I was like, this literally just need to sink time into something. Yeah. And I kind of forgot what it was like to, I don't know, to dance in the club. I, th- I think also because like, um, I get so inspired by seeing friends DJ mm-hmm. at, at parties. Um, you're dancing, you're looking at the CDJs to see what the track ID is, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, what's this edit? Um, <laughs> you're getting like, you're getting amped. Um, but yeah, like being stuck in the house wasn't really motivating in that way. And yeah. I haven't really been like, um, to that many parties since we opened up again. So what do you think some influence that? Do you think that you've just become more introverted? Uh, or, or I don't really know if you're an extrovert or an introvert or an ambivert. Do you feel as though that you're just not as into that or seeking that sort of exhilaration as you used to? Um, I don't really know. It's probably a combination of things like um, the anxiety about getting sick isn't great Mm. and then like um, preferring some clubs over others. And then to be honest, like a lot of my friends will play at Section 8, which is if you're not playing such a pain in the ass to get into, they go like. Agreed. Yes. I don't don't like to queue. No. so especially when people like people get there and then they stay there and you're going to be waiting for hours. So mm. it's frustrating even playing there because you're asking your friends to come down and at the same time. You're like, <laughs> I get it if you don't. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. It's not the most comfortable of venues. Yeah. Sure. I, I haven't been to miscellanea yet for some reason as well. So I need to just kind of get off my ass, I think. Um, what are you into these days in terms of electronic music because i know that you were saying that you sort of had to force yourself to find stuff and i know that you had a mix recently well your most recent one was the aside from this one <laughs> um hard drum uh ukg bass drum and bass based uh uk funky a lot of that sort of sound um is that mainly the sort of uh center of gravity that you're listening to at the moment yeah pretty much yeah um it's kind of navigating like this balance of, I don't know if you find this, but um, I don't like really serious electronic music. Like, I like that's kind of p- progressive, like techno, like <laughs> I like techno, don't get me wrong, yeah. but um, stuff that takes itself too seriously. But I also cringe at like really dramatic, like dubstep mm-hmm. adjacent type of, dance music that's so it's like this sweet spot where i'm like it's fun 
but it's also, you know, sort of, I don't know. Uh, it's not, it's not going, going too crazy. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but then also um, I was thinking earlier about how to describe what it is that I like. And I think that um, I also just get a bit bored of like a four to the floor beat. Yeah. Like I, the reason that I like sort of um, and will weave in sort of throughout sets different genres is because they have like more of a um, dance, dancey kind of, I don't know, like rhythm that you, you get through UK funky because of the Caribbean influence. Hell you get yeah. through like through Viola Funk because it's Brazilian. You know, you get through um, producers from Portugal because they have that kind of background that's running through it. Mm. I actually wish that I could... I wish that I was good enough at at music to do like an Eastern Euro version of this. Ooh, and I've yeah. tried doing it because I've got friends that like, I don't know, you know, like DJ Plead. Yeah. And he's um, fairly certain he's Lebanese, <laughs> but he'll do sort of like that drummy kind of. Um, it's very percussion heavy. Really percussive, like running through the, uh, you know, I don't even know what genre to call it, but we'll just call it electronic music. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've had conversations with him about like, how do I like, how do I do this? Mm. You know, I have this classic um, Macedonian track that I want to do an edit of like, <laughs> how do I do it? But it's kind of, it's kind of hard. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, there's something about it that feels so celebratory and like. It's incredibly joyful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like being at a wedding with your family, you know, everyone's dancing. Yeah. It's a celebration That's of life. Kind of, of music that's the energy yeah, yeah yeah so that drum drum forward percussive dance music um is definitely the thing that um makes me excited and that i try to like run through everything yeah um but then also actually i've been really liking and we were talking about this on instagram but um there's these uh producers in europe at the moment who are doing like a new version of um like early 2000s uh trance and house Ooh, music yes. and like happy hardcore ish with the like big synths mm. and you have like the piano house like chord stab type of thing there's like a dj heartstring yes does it um local group uh which is the last track in the in the mix Ooh. that i made uh for you lovely thank you so yeah, it's just like uh, that's definitely like not taking itself seriously. I but agree. I have there's there's a massive place in my heart for that era of dance music. So yeah, um, I was actually just having a conversation with um, uh, Lockie, aka Spider Dog, who is going to be the next guest on the show. So please, people, don't uh, feel as though that I'm spoiling this conversation. But um, he he was saying that uh, there's been a recent sort of like revival in trance and in this like new derivation of happy hardcore, also known as donk. And so um, I don't listen to a lot of either, um, but he's saying that it's it was, he believes that it's been revived and there's been a newfound interest in it because of how seriously electronic music has been taking itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, th it's like this response to uh, being anti-cool. So we're all embracing the cringe now and that's meant to be what's cool. But now what he's concerned about is that what's not cool 
will eventually become cool and then we be, uh, we go into this like Ouroboros cycle that we just can't get ourselves out of, you know? I think that that's t- like I totally agree. Yeah. I also think it's completely unavoidable because mm. think about like think about um, trends in music over time because you can't have like hair metal be <laughs> the reigning genre of music forever because people get burnt out on it so then you need grunge which yeah. is like suki and it takes itself really seriously it's like anti-glam mm-hmm. now we're like wearing slacker clothes it's like normcore it's like i don't wash my hair i definitely don't style my hair yeah. <laughs> and then after that you get um like i suppose new metal, metal. Sort of, we were yeah. gonna we we're gonna talk about we we're gonna talk yeah, about, we're gonna new, talk metal about anyway. new metal <laughs> <laughs> it was it was on the cards, but like um, you get that's the reaction to grunge because it's mm. like fuck this, like let's be stupid, let's like um, I'd lean into it and not take ourselves seriously, and then you, yeah, you know, also boy bands and stuff happened after grunge because we just needed things to be like saccharine and can can fun I give you a again. can I give you a hot take? Can I give you a hot take here? I please, reckon, I reckon, and I love so many genres of like really serious music and i just think that this doesn't get enough credit i truly believe that boy bands slash acapella groups um of all genders and sizes <laughs> but maybe perhaps with the exception of like you know those university acapella groups um god bless you all um but i i, I truly do think that like pop boy bands were one of the greatest things to ever happen to music in in western music this particular century do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there, there's such a beautiful joy to the celebration of harmony uh this this um exploration into like different voices within one particular song uh yeah you could say that it was already explored like back in the day with um r&b groups like boys to men uh but I don't know. <laughs> I suppose the the whiteified version, you could say, of boy bands was also pretty damn sweet, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, like a lot more cleaned up, a lot less horny than like <laughs> Jodeci yeah. or whatever. Next, um, but but yeah, they, they were all. I don't know that. I guess like it's um, it's cool if you if you care about music and you're like oh okay this is a version of like choral music Mm -hmm. which is why Bach is Bach you know what I mean because you have different like you're saying the different voices and the you're creating like the creating chords with those melodies that are running at the same time kind of thing so Mm -hmm. plus it was just I don't know me and my boyfriend did um we went to karaoke a couple of weeks ago and we did tearing up my heart by InSync and did we did the harmonies and everything and everyone was like Holy shit. And I was like, yes, it is yes. a really good song. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I need to go to karaoke with you and your boyfriend because we're going to have <laughs> so much fun with that sort of shit. I can't sing that shit with anybody, any of my friends. People. Oh, I, I, I'm glad you appreciate it. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to convince them. No, listen to this shit. It's fucking awesome. Everyone's like, no, nah, man, it's so cringe. I'm like, fuck you guys. Do but, they hate fun? Yeah, of course <laughs> they understand. do. Clearly, they hate joy and happiness. Um, I got a question for you. Um, as someone who is quite clearly a student of the game in terms of um, trends in music, I'd love to hear your opinion on this because I don't really get the opportunity to like really go deep into this sort of stuff with anybody. Um, I used to think that I had like a handle on where trends were going uh, as of late. So like 
I base this off my experience with metal in particular. You know how uh, over the course of like the 90s and the 2000s, metal became progressively heavier and heavier? Yeah. I feel as though that um, that is representative and, and, you know, also intertwining with your theory of like, you know, uh, serious to non-serious to serious to non-serious. I think intertwined with that cycle, I I believe that that is one of the core components to how this whole uh, uh, cycle of trends in music works. So you've noticed how uh, even with electronic music, things have started to get heavier and heavier. We're starting to go more percussion based. We're starting to go faster as well um, in terms of uh, even hip hop. Um, it started off with, you know, 90s boom bap, uh, well, in terms of what's popular in the mainstream, 90s boom bap into, uh, you know, trap or pop trap, uh, and then progressively even moving into like um, artists that, uh, you know, that included like XXX Tentacion, uh, Ski Master Slump God, like that sort of era of trap um, musicians. And now I wonder what the next trend is after electronic music. Do you think that we're just going to stay here for a while or do you think that another zeitgeist is coming? I I believe that another zeitgeist is coming. I just don't know what it is. It's hard because, like, it used to be that you would have um, grassroots scenes come up and then become the reigning thing in the mainstream. Mm. And then I feel like for that reason it was really – like you would get injections of things that were completely new and different that would happen every like, I don't know, like five years or whatever the time frame is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you sort of through like the late 2000s, the record label model was just streamlined to this degree where everything's kind of homogenized. Yeah. So it's really difficult to think to say what will happen because I feel like it's been a bit stuck for a while. Like I don't, I don't know if anything has changed that significantly in mainstream music. It's been kind of this like uh, a new pop star will emerge, you know, it'll mm-hmm. be like Dua Lipa now instead of like whoever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good. But yeah, outside of that, I don't know. Like it, cause then there, I, there was a trend for a while where um, a friend of mine, uh, who's also a DJ Tranta, was calling it Drake Patois when everyone was kind of trying to... <laughs> Do the dance hall thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was really like... And, and then that lasted like five minutes. So um, I don't really know. I thought for a while that it would be um, like emo rap mm-hmm. adjacent pop music. Like, um, do you know Dane, the Melbourne... No, I don't. Uh, artist? Uh, are we talking... She's, um, yeah, sorry. No, what were you going to say? Uh, uh, sorry, I was just wondering if um, you were talking music that's along the lines of like, because um, I only know American artists in this scene, but um, Juice World, that sort of style, or Lil Peep. Yeah, like like Lil Peep, yeah, um, mm-hmm. but even pushing the uh, emo, electronic side of it more, like out of rap. But yeah, Dane's a Melbourne artist that's like picking up heaps of steam, who's, who's like a female Lil Peep kind mm-hmm. of vibe. And pe- people... Really, I saw her play at a Melbourne Music Week showcase and, like, the, she blew the roof off the place. Really? Um, people loved it. Yeah. So, it's. I think that potentially we're moving into, like, a, like you say, uh, cringe core. <laughs> we're, like, happy to be goofy and not so serious, especially because I think that these things kind of track, like, 
world events and the the general sentiment. Yeah, um, yeah, agree. So you know, people people keep saying like cliched things like in these trying times or whatever, <laughs> but like maybe <laughs> maybe you know, lightheartedness is the thing that that people need. Um, but yeah. yeah, in terms of like what what genre that looks like, I honestly I have no idea because it seems like there's just a subculture that exists for everything and everything's really disparate. Yeah. So, there's there's no like um there's no concentric focus of music anymore like there used to be like because of the availability and accessibility of all different kinds of genres of music um, by artists from all across the world like we we suddenly have like these uh like several of these tribes well not even several like hundreds and thousands of these different tribes of music that like can all thrive within their own sub communities and it's it's never I wouldn't say never, but like it's not as unviable as it used to be to like survive within a smaller subgenre. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. nowadays you can play whatever you want and there's probably going to be at the very least a thousand people out there that like what you do, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're good, if you're good there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know, maybe it's time to, maybe guitars are going to be back soon. You know, do you like reckon? maybe, do you reckon? maybe, I don't know. Like Limp, Limp Bizkit used to be like the, one of the biggest bands in the world. True. That True. was a thing that happened. For good reason. For good reason. Yeah. Cause they rule. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand whether this is, we're being ironic or not because Limp Bizkit was such a divisive band back in those days. Um, no, I'm being hundred percent earnest. I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't know. There was a point, I don't even know if there was a point where I was, um, like thought I was too cool for something or was like ashamed of liking something. Either I like it or I don't like it. And then, mm-hmm. um, cause there's heaps of bands or artists that I don't like, but I don't think that there's like a, I don't know that it's an issue of they're in poor taste or whatever. I just, I just don't, it just doesn't resonate with me for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I saw an Instagram post, um, where you said that you, um, took the path that you were meant for as a Deftones fan and started pole dancing. But <laughs> <laughs> pole dancing aside, I want to ask you about the Deftones um, because they're, they're such an important band to me. Um, wh- when did you start to get into Deftones? Like what era uh, were you really into them? It was like embarrassingly late because so my trajectory of, of music that I was into was – um like because I was really into dance music really young because my brother started he he learned how to DJ when he was like 14 and I was like 11 or something wow and so we were listening to we would go to the city and go to Central Station Records and buy like white label house remixes and like um I don't know like Tiesto remixes or whatever um (laughs) that we liked at the time shout out Tiesto um Tiesto forever and then, so I didn't like, I didn't get into like guitar music or, or whatever until I was in, I don't know, high school. Wow. So, and then after that, like, I think my first boyfriend and his bandmates um, listened to like Jimmy Eat World and like Taking Back oh. Sunday. And I was like, what is this music? And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, emo is really good. Yeah. Um, and then around that same time, um, I heard uh, White Pony the Deftones album and was just like 
this is the horniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Oh my yes. God. Like how do they, and then I ended up seeing them live a couple of times, but I only ever really listened to Around the Fair and White Pony. Would you believe me if I told you that for the entirety of one song, Chino held onto my hand at Big Day Out? Oh my god! I, I never, I did not wash that hand for a long time. <laughs> like I was in the shower, I'm like holding my hand out from the water. I'm like, no way, I'm cleaning this off. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. He, um, I, agree, I agree with you. It's horny music. Horny, horny a, music. So the friend that I ran Honey with in Sydney um, went to a a Rob Zombie show when she was like 15 mm-hmm. and he signed her arm or something and then she ended up getting it tattooed over. <laughs> no shit. Wow. That's some serious fandom there. Absolutely. I know. She also really likes Circle of Filth. I love her so much. <laughs> um, did you did you get heavier into metal um, as time progressed as well? Like sort of, but um, only... I feel like there's a there's a line you can draw between having been a childhood fan of trans music and then a fan of like some of the wussier brands of metal later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like not not really. I don't know. I kind of like Doom and um, and then like a big fan of Chelsea Wolf, who's like got a flavor of metal, oh. but but yep. like not not actually real metal. Very cool. Um, I feel like my my partner's like because he's a metal guy. He's probably sitting somewhere cringing at my answer to that question. <laughs> that's, uh. a, that's a funny thing about metalheads is that like um, you either as a metalhead move on and realize that uh, there are also other good genres of music aside from metal or you just stay an elitist for the rest of your life. It's one Aww. of the two. <laughs> I'm not, he's, he's not like that. I'm not going to call him out like that. No, but, um, oh, I did briefly because I was learning to play drums at the time in Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. briefly jamming with some people to to do an all-female doom band. Ooh, Yeah, cool. that would have been really cool, but it didn't eventuate. Stoner doom or just doom? Oh, uh, we didn't – we did like two jams, so it wasn't really <laughs> that specific yet. Um, are you still playing any instruments? I know that you can play guitar and sing. Yeah, yeah, and I play like a bad at, um, bad at keyboard, but I know enough mm-hmm. to get by kind of. Kind of you know enough to produce. Hey. Yeah, exactly. I can play a scale. That'll do me. <laughs> <laughs> Just play random notes in the scale until it fits. One of the two. Ableton's good like that. I mean, I don't know. It was good to do. I did like uh, piano lessons for like six months or something. It was good to do because I was like, I want to have less imposter syndrome. But mm-hmm. you can kind of get around that in Ableton with various effects and plugins and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was talking to um, Jack, uh, aka Head Chef, about this, and um, he was of the opinion. Oh, he's great. That, yes, very great. Shout out to you, Jack. Hope you're listening in. Um, he, he's of the opinion that uh, in electronic music, especially with electro in particular, it's less about the actual substance of, uh, like, you know, the the melodic content of what you're making, and more about what you do with certain sounds. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so that was quite eye opening for me to like realize that of like. 
oh shit, we're not as musical as we used to be. We're just technically more proficient, which is very interesting. I Definitely. Feel. And then also just the, the way that like, um, you know, you listen to uh, drum and bass and garage and stuff from the 90s when they had like, I don't know how the hell they even did. They just had some uh, analog gear and some tapes and like mm-hmm. made magic happen. They didn't know yeah. anything about music theory. They just knew how to create a vibe. That's which true. Is, which is basically it. And then you kind of get these like detuned, wrong sounding notes, but mm-hmm. um, woven in and out of each other to create this kind of call and response yeah. um, energy that, you know, and that's why I have to kind of like, talk myself out of worrying about that stuff all the time and just focus on like whether it feels good. You know, with, with a history like yours, I'm actually kind of surprised that you feel any degree of imposter syndrome because <laughs> you, you've, you've done like a legendary, like, like very, quite genuinely, like in this last decade, a legendary um, club night in Sydney, you've played so many different parties and played alongside fucking LSD XOXO. Wow. Um, as well as that, you know, you've done all these festivals too. I mean, do you still have this imposter syndrome in you now? Um, yeah, for sure. I guess I've always, like, this conversation is, is a really good illustration of how I don't have a really clear and um, concise, like, pocket of music that I really love more than more like over and above any other Mm. i've never been passionate about like one particular genre subgenre or even like application you know whether it's electronic or whether it's like a band or whatever it's so it's kind of like a constant identity crisis and then so having to like be like okay i want to be part of this scene um you feel a bit like uh I don't know, like constantly reinventing yourself is a bad thing or something like that. Do you think that drifting is a bad thing in that way? I mean, it's kind of, it's the kind of thing where you don't think it's bad if someone else does it, but if it's you, you're like, oh, it's unseemly. I couldn't possibly, you know, people are going to think that because I haven't been playing straight techno for a decade that like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not serious about anything and whatever, but I guess I am not serious about anything as well. I, I, to be honest, I'm kind of the same as you in that, like, I've drifted across so many different genres of music over my lifetime. Um, in fact, my journey has been very similar to yours as well. Um, maybe aside from listening to white label house classics from back in the day. Um, but uh, I, I've tried to reconcile this in myself as well. Um, and I really do believe... I mean, it's quite clear that you know the history of popular music inside out and you know quite deeply a lot of these different genres and artists that you're working with and that you're listening to. It's not like you're just a a casual, for lack of a better word. I think people like us have a genuinely deep appreciation for the broad umbrella, this magical, beautiful fucking thing that we have come, been so lucky enough to experience and appreciate in our lifetime called music. You know, we, we like music in all its different forms. I've, I've always believed that music is not a tangible thing. I mean, of course it's not a tangible thing, but I, I think that music is like, um, we can only ever see music's shadow in the sense that you can only ever see the shadow of music when you shine a light upon a particular sound. Like that shadow exists on wherever 
you shine your light on, whatever object you shine your light against, that shadow is always there. I think that that's what music is, in that it's not just that one tangible thing. It can be whatever it is that you shine your light on. And for us to be, I think for people like us who look at that shadow for what it is, as opposed to the tangible object that we're shining the light on, I think that that's more beautiful, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that that's how you end up with these kind of collisions of different sounds and um because you can you can feel the influence that people take from so many different places. Yes. Um, and then you end up with, because there's nothing new that you can create, but you can cre- create something that feels new out of elements that already exist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's de- that's definitely a positive. But that's like the closest thing I come to imposter syndrome with DJing these days anyway, is just feeling like um, – I've never tried hard enough to fit into a specific scene for whatever reason. Or maybe that scenes in Australia are just relatively small, so it's difficult to to do. Um, yeah. You know, there's not, there's not a huge scene of people playing, like, UK-influenced um, heavier kind of tunes. Well. But it, it exists for sure. That's but, true. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be in Australia for much longer because you're leaving the country at the end of May yeah. and going off to the States for about three to, I believe, six months, was it? Yeah, yeah, it depends. Um, when I, I've never, um, I've always been kind of a planner that's like a bit anxious about um, having things lined up and ready to go. But this is the first time in my life where I've been like, all right, I'm just going to go and like, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Ooh. So I don't, I don't know if we'll stay in, probably won't stay in the States. We'll probably end up moving to Europe, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll be traveling around the States for as long as my visa permits. Um, <laughs> I might have to leave the continent and then come back again. But but yeah, I'm excited to, I've, I've got like a um, folder on Instagram, like my saved folder. Oh yeah. Uh, one for American artists and DJs and one for European ones, just like local producers and stuff that I'll find on like SoundCloud or Bandcamp and be like, love their vibe, you know, mm. like. Um, bookmarked for when I'm in like I don't know where was one of them like Arizona or something like that Hell um, yeah yeah because there's just there's so many people doing so many um, so many things that's so, cool yeah it's exciting I mean you, you might have a great stint I mean if you're focused on UK sounds these days you might have a really good stint in uh, Bristol or London or uh, wherever have you thought about yeah. the UK yeah I'm not to live it's just cold and expensive and stressful (laughs) but like I went to one of the things that really catalyzed my love of that sound was because I already really liked sort of percussive focused music and I liked garage and whatever and loved dance hall um but I went uh to um London during carnival and um there's a, a producer who used to live in Perth because he's English he was dating uh, an Aussie girl in Perth and lived there and then moved back home. So that's why I met him. Oh, cool. Um, he was like, uh, do you know A Heart of Dream? Do you know his, his music? I had anyway. a dream? No. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like uh, his name's Ahad and so it's A Heart of Dream. The oh, nice. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to him and um, More Time Records. But shout out, shout he out. was like, shout out. Uh, he was like, uh, <laughs> come to these parties or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. One of them he put on and then there are a couple of other ones um on uh just at small venues 
and it, they were some of the best parties I've ever been to in my life. And like Hell I saw yeah. uh, Nina was playing at one of them. Um, Champion was there, and then I met him and like had a meltdown. I was like, oh my gosh! You met Champion? Holy shit! Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was wild. So that yeah, like if I could be a part of that scene, I would be like unbelievably stoked. But um, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't think I have the hubris to assume that I would be able to do something like that. Expect <laughs> that nothing, hope for everything, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's, but the scene there is incredible. It's so much fun. Definitely doesn't take itself too seriously, which is my vibe. 100%. 100%. I, I, I know that this gets brought up in just about every interview that you do, um, but I was also once a fan of this, and so I want to talk to you about it. Um, <laughs> okay, what is it? <laughs> wrestling. Wrestling. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, do you think that wrestling will ever make a comeback, like pro wrestling? Because, I mean, we've had a little bit of a resurgence, like uh, I want to say maybe like five to five to ten years. Oh, so, God, maybe five to six years ago. But like now I think a lot of the focus on like, you know, sports combat or even sports theatrics, you could say, um, is on MMA and the UFC mm. and Bellator and stuff like that. Do you watch any of those? Sometimes. I've watched like... Oh my god, who was it? I don't know anything about UFC fighters yeah. at all. But I've watched a couple of, of fights and I, I don't know. Initially I was like, I don't I don't like that they can actually get hurt. I like wrestling because it's athletic, but um I mean you can get hurt, but the objective is A lot of people to, get hurt in wrestling, yeah. Yeah, I mean you can't do pile drivers anymore in the WWE, <laughs> but um the ob- objective isn't to get hurt, it's just to like um I don't know, to to put on a show. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, um, I don't know, maybe like wrestling and new metal share like just a special time in the world's history and they just won't be back. <laughs> that's so, that's that's so romantic to think about, isn't it? Yeah. There's just like, I don't know, there is still a, a massive like industry for it. And I, I really like going to local um, wrestling promotions the most. Oh, which one? Do, which one have you gone to? Which ones have you gone to? There's um, Melbourne City Wrestling, um, which is yes. good. They do shows in uh, where was it, like Northgate or Thornbury or something like that. Um, they they're really good, really yeah. really good. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of talent that ends up going from MCW to the WWE or to um, some of the bigger like uh, indie promotions in america yeah uh, or they go to japan or whatever so it's um it's really it's really good there's one in sydney that's good that i went to recently i can't remember the name of and then there's one here in Ferntree gully too which is like uh like a more low rent one but it's really fun for that reason yeah. it's like kind of hectic um because <laughs> there's like eight-year-olds like screaming like profanities at the wrestlers and stuff I'm like damn okay. um I, I was really into wrestling for a bit because it was uh there was a, a huge push for um it for diversity basically like that they, they just started actually training um women and having like a lot of people of color come through a lot of people like from like a lot of uh women from Japan um yeah who, who do joshi wrestling were hired and to, to come to the States and um, wrestle on the big stage kind of thing. And it was just, it was really cool to see that kind of recognition because they were so good, but yeah. was such a niche for so long. So I was really um, excited about that for a while. 
I was also surprised at the Usos making an appearance, like Pacific yeah. Island representation <laughs> as well. That's really cool. Oh, um, there's been, always been heaps of Pacific Islander representation, I reckon. It's always been American Samoans, though. Always. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, um, for sure. Wait, was Rikishi, he was, was he Samoan? But I don't know. Was that the guy with, who uh, would sit on people's heads? Yeah, um, big, sumo, <laughs> big sumo man. Um, who, who were your favorite wrestlers growing up? I didn't watch wrestling um, growing up at all. Mm. Um, so just so, the new resurgence, the the revival. Yeah, it's like weird. It's like, uh, again, like didn't get into emo until I was like an adult basically and didn't get into wrestling until I was an adult too. Um, but I don't know, you go back and then you watch like Trish, Trish, Stratus. oh my God, <laughs> Stratus, Trish Stratus matches um, and uh, Mickey and like, um all those guys were really great i'm trying to think of who else everyone loves um steve austin obviously do you know do you know the history about uh how the wwf came to become the wwf um i feel like i've watched a documentary but i can't remember the the reason why i bring this up um just for people who don't know, uh, the WWF became what it is, a, a huge nationwide conglomerate, um, by um, essentially starting off as a small local promotion, uh, using a large amount of capital to go across the nation to each different state and buying up their different promotions and their um, roster of wrestlers and, until eventually uh, Vince McMahon, the CEO of the WWE today, um, currently has a stronghold on all pro wrestling uh, in America. Uh, the reason why I bring this up is because I want to get your opinion on what I think should be the next step for uh, this scatterbrained electronic music scene that we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed that with the rise of Bandcamp uh, that all these different small, tiny record labels, um, local record labels, uh, you know, showcasing certain kinds of music um, in the electronic sphere, you know how a lot of them have been popping up on Bandcamp recently? Mm-hmm. I think that it would be a very smart move for anybody out there. And folks, if anybody does this, credit me for this idea because I've been thinking about this for a long time, um, to go ahead and use a large amount of capital wherever they might find it to buy up a whole bunch of these smaller labels and their artists and then become the next uh, titan in terms of electronic music labels now i think that it would be a really good idea for someone to do that in the next couple of years mm. what do you think about this like are you buying them for the raw talent and then the artists who are assigned to them and then you're kind of um trying to make a go of it or are you banking on there being some sort of hype already behind some of the artists it's really interesting to well, think about it's kind of breaking my brain a little bit because because Bandcamp just got bought by epic games so we have to do something yeah there. which is so so weird i don't really understand that purchase but um hopefully something good comes out of it no what what i mean is is like the commercial viability of it would come from like the uh whoever buys these labels to buy essentially their catalogs the releases Mm. and so whatever future income comes from those releases will go to the person that has purchased the rights to them Mm. and so this this new uh let's call them uh label eater uh, call them rather a label eater will uh, have all these different sources of income from successful releases from these uh, from this from these hundreds of labels that are out there right now. It's definitely interesting. In terms of what's going on in your life right now, work, uh, personal things, 
What's been happening? I mean, the pandemic's just been and gone. Well, fuck, it's not even over yet, is it? But the worst of it has been and gone. Um, where is life at now after all this happened? I finished my degree because uh, I know you brought brought up that I worked in publishing earlier. Mm-hmm. I did a, a career, big career pivot um, a few years ago Ooh. and decided to study psychology. So I just finished that in, well, the grad dip. So it's like the undergrad equivalent in November. Congratulations. And then, yeah, thanks. Um, but I can't really do anything with it until I at least do honors, which I'm going to do after I travel for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. and then probably do some research assisting and then do a PhD. Holy shit. Um, at some point. So, holy shit. Yeah. So I'll probably just be a Dr. Mutka. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it would be the idea is to work in research. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah. What um, made you interested in psychology? I was kind of like learning about it on the, I, I ended up working in advertising after I worked in publishing and it was really, um, at first like kind of fulfilling, but then in the end, have you, have you heard of this book called Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber? He's an anthropologist. No. It's, um, it's incredible. He just, he talks basically about how, um, the there's a, a huge proportion of white collar jobs where people basically produce nothing of any real value. Um, yep. and they're like, I, I don't know, they're, they're creating, so I was creating strategy, communication strategy documents for major clients and they were paying millions of dollars for them. And then they would just get kind of shelved somewhere cause they had like done the compliance thing where they had a new digital strategy for that year. Um, mm-hmm. so you would just kind of sweat it out and stress and be underpaid still, but, you know, make your boss like millions of dollars. Uh, and I was like, this is, this is really brutal. So during that time I was listening to a lot of, um, psychology, social psychology podcasts and reading a lot of so- social psychology texts. And I was like, I actually give a shit about this. So maybe I'll make a go of that. But the the interval was like several years. So I ended up like. I don't know. I had to move back to Melbourne because my dad was sick and then like did that whole kind of reframing of your life moment, mm-hmm. I guess. So yeah, it's been, it's been really good. It's been cool to do something that's technically a science too for the first time. That's such an interesting uh, notion to think about that a lot of jobs, especially white college, well, really only white college jobs, um, a lot of them actually produce nothing of value to society. That's actually such an interesting thing to think about. Um, yeah, this book is this book is great. It's all anecdotes. Like it's not it's it's completely unscientific and there's no like real framework or or like overarching theory that holds water at all. But it is just <laughs> if you're really burnt out on the work that you do every day. I mean, it's it's kind of like it should come with a warning like you you might quit your job after um, you read this. But it's it's really um compelling. And I mean, funny. It's really funny too. It's for the better, isn't it? Like if people are staring away from these jobs that essentially do nothing for society, like nothing substantial and tangible for society, then isn't the result of the book, even though it might ruin someone's life for like maybe a year or so, <laughs> um, ultimately good? It's a utilitarian book in a way. Yeah, definitely. Like learn how to weld or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like do anything. Um, I ended up um, after I quit my job 
getting a, a volunteer position at the Asylum Seeker Resource Center, driving their food donation van. Because mm. I was like, I just want to do something that has any amount of impact and that I don't have to sit in front of a desk to do. Because all these yep. places were like, do you want to run our social media? I was like, please, please no. Oh, God. <laughs> just not, never again. Absolutely yep. not. Do you have a disillusionment with um, social media in general now as a result? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I should get on TikTok, but I don't like having. Don't, um, don't. It, I don't it, like having to have headphones in all the time. It will, it will destroy your brain. TikTok will literally destroy your brain. I don't know. It, it's, it's just my it's brain worms, isn't it? Yeah, it's my experience. But like, I it makes me really sad when I'm on it because I'm just like, I could be doing something else. I really could. Maybe I'll just um, finally release music and then put it on their music platform that they have now, and then hope for the best. <laughs> Well, someone um, someone got pretty good. Um, th- that person that did the uh, Men at Work drum and bass remix um, got famous off TikTok, and now they're doing world tours. Really? Could be, yeah. Could be something there. Damn. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I'm as, as disillusioned about social media as anyone else is. Um, I don't yeah. really have any insightful things to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think social media has anything insightful to tell us these days anymore. Um, yeah. I want to uh, go into this mix that you've made here for us. And thank you so much for doing so. I really appreciate this. Um, but before I do, Dee, what was the very first song in your entire life that changed it? Can I tell you the first one that comes to mind and not the first one? Sure. That ever? Yeah. Because the, um, the first one I can think of is Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Oh, yes. That was like yes. when I would. Because I was like, I don't know, six, seven, and was just like, what is this? <laughs> What's happening to my brain? I used to, my parents had this old stereo from the 70s, uh, and I would stand right and uh, put the CD in and then stand directly in front of it, and I could just feel it in my bones. It was yes. so good. But the one that I feel like the mo- is the most poignant one is um, when I – so my my best friend at the time, we were in like year eight. Um, we're hanging out with her brother who was 27. He lived in this house in Flemington mm-hmm. and he had a bungalow out the back. He used to grow hydroponic weed in. <laughs> and he invited over his neighbor who was this guy who was like 32. So these – Grown men are hanging out with these 14-year-old girls. Oh, God. And not in a creepy way because okay. it was her brother. It right. was chill. But so we're hanging out and they they uh, hand us a joint for the first time ever. Oh. And I don't even like weed now at all because I get like, the, you know, anxious and just uncomfortable or whatever. It feels they gave like weed almost... to minors. They gave weed to minors. Absolutely. But then they put on uh, Mezzanine by Massive Attack. And I was, and it was like the first uh, that I had heard of anything that was, um, I mean, trip hop was like a weird moment in time anyway, but it was, uh, it wasn't dance music and it wasn't band music either. It was like this, this weird middle ground and it was really like visceral and um, slow and 
I don't know, interesting.、Mm. And, and I was like, okay, what is this? And then ended up just changing. And then Portishead was my favorite band after that for like a long time. Because、um, I was like, what are these feelings?、Yeah. So, yeah, I reckon、um, Mezzanine was, was it when I was like 14. Did you ever listen to、um, Chino's trip hop、uh, project Crosses back in the day? Did they have like a, was it spelled in a weird way or something? Yeah, it was、or、like、no? actual like three crosses,、um, like symbols. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I can't remember. Was it any good? It was all right. It was all right. I mean, like, it was fine. If, you, if you're <laughs> a sucker for anything that has Chino on it, then you'll like it. Yeah. I don't know how a guy can be like at once so unattractive and so sexy. Like, I don't get it. Like, I saw them play and I was like, and it would have been 2000, and, I don't know, 10 or something, 2011.、Um, and I was standing there. I was just like, how? <laughs> Do not disrespect Chino like that. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. I'm so sorry. I think it's because he had really busted facial hair. I can't remember. Yeah, he had pretty bad facial hair. The styling hair. was not good. No. <laughs> But he has by far the sexiest voice that、uh, many of us knew from the 90s and the early 2000s. That has ever existed and will ever exist, probably. 100%. 100%. <laughs>、um, But. Speaking of fantastic, sexy music, we're about to go into your mix that you've made for us right here on Spinning Around. Up next, can you please let me know and let everybody that's listening know what special treats you have in store for all of us? Yeah, so it's kind of.、Um, I was worried, like, again, because of identity crisis and stuff. I was like, is this cohesive enough? Is this too eclectic, which is to say so random? But、um, I think it's. I think it's It's tight enough. It's like, it's a lot of that kind of、um, percussive, heavy, drummy stuff. But then there's kind of a section in the middle that gets more housey. We got some Byla Funk in there.、Um, yeah. Yeah, closing it out with Local Group, which is definitely the outlier. But、um, it's almost kind of like the original Model Combat movie esque, like <laughs> just really, really big dance song. I Had a Dream that I was talking about earlier is in there, and Murder He Wrote is in there as well. He's another London producer who I am a huge fan of. Nice.、Um, there's a like a really old Wookiee edit from like 2002、um, of Don't Mess with My Man that I kind of wove in for a second. Hell yeah. So yeah, it's,、um, it's, it's a bit of fun, I think. Hopefully, you like it. 100%. I love eclectic genre hopping mixes. So you, you've hit right up my alley. I really, really appreciate that. How serendipitous.、Um, thank you so much for making the time to come and have a chat with me today. I hope you've had fun. Yeah, I have. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. I'm going to let you go and be tattooed by your partner now.、Um, folks, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, uh, listening in for another week of spinning around. But hey, 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 don't you go fucking turning off that radio yet because at 7 p.m., we also have. Spider Dog, all the way from Sydney, the techno overlord that has been pushing the Australian hard dance scene、uh, through his label, Meganesia. And if you haven't heard that Meganesian Plates compilation yet, then what the fuck are you doing with your life? Please, 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 please go ahead and listen to that. But before you listen to that, please listen to this. We're about to go into Marcus Mix right now. You're listening 
to spinning around on Area 3000, playing Mutko right now. <laughs> 